Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Associate Pastor Henry Coates. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 37, in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles, beginning on page 4. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be opened to know the things pertaining to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and... Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you, you who are our rock, our lawgiver, and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So last week, Pastor Ray took you through some of the most glorious, soul-enlightening, transformational scriptures in all of the Bible as he worked through the first part of Jesus' mountaintop sermon. You are salt. You are light. You are a city on a hill. Let your light shine on down. This week, Pastor Ray asked me to preach. And you know what the topics are on? Anger, murder, lust. Thanks, Ray. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I won't give him too hard a time because it's his birthday weekend after all. Will you please join in with me to sing happy birthday to our beloved Pastor Ray. He looks great for 30 years old. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Pastor Ray. Happy birthday to you. Let's give thanks to God with these claps. All right, back to murder and anger and lust. So um, let's set the scene for our passage today. Jesus is on the mountaintop. He is surrounded by his disciples. He has offered the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then Jesus moves on about talking about the calling he places on his disciples to be salt, to be light, to be the city on the hill. Let your light shine before others, Jesus says, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Our passage today, Matthew 5, 21 through 37, contains some of the hardest words that Jesus utters in all of Scripture. My Bible outlines them as concerning anger, concerning adultery, concerning divorce, concerning oaths. These are heavy topics, no matter how you try to square them. And Jesus' teachings are challenging. Key to understanding Jesus' words to us today, though, is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And I want to draw special attention to verses 17, 18, and verse 20, as to begin to grasp what comes next in our scripture requires that we keep these three verses in mind. Verse 17 reads, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. 
For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I led a Sunday school class last year on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, a guy came up to me after one class uh, nearly in tears. Uh, He said, Pastor Henry, how on earth, how on earth am I to enter the kingdom of heaven? I am not righteous. I am broken. I am a sinner. I didn't have a quick or pithy answer to offer. I just said, Me too, buddy. These words of Jesus are hard. And it can be hard to see the grace in them. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is shockingly bad news. Pharisees and scribes were considered righteous untouchables who sought to live out the law perfectly in order to please God. They were the creme de la creme, the righteous of the righteous, the extra super holy people. And Jesus says that in order for his disciples to enter into the kingdom of heaven, their righteousness needs to exceed that, the Pharisees and the scribes. These words of Jesus are just as shocking now as they were then. Although the righteousness of the Pharisees was by all accounts very high, Jesus declares as inferior precisely these same people. Later on in the gospel, Jesus will call them white-washed tombs. Their righteousness is not sufficient to enter the coming kingdom of heaven. I don't know about y'all, but this is bad news for me. Look at the practical examples that follow this. Anger, lust, the effect broken relationships have. Who among us hasn't been angry? Who among us hasn't felt lust in their hearts? Who among us hasn't been part of a broken relationship? So what are we to do? Where are we to go from this? If Jesus has the words of eternal life, what are we to do with hard words like this? Now now to go into detail, And any of these teachings would take a ton of time. So that's not what I'm going to do. What I am going to do is challenge you. It's a real challenge. To go home and read your Bibles this week. And read over these passages. I challenge you to read them closely. I challenge you to let them challenge you. And then... 
I challenge you to turn to Jesus in prayer and supplication and ask him to help you to make your inner disposition align with your outward action. Because that's what this really is all about. Orienting our moral compass on Jesus so not only will we talk the talk, but live the life that Jesus offers us. What do we do with the hard words of Jesus? We turn to Jesus and say, help Help us understand. Let's break down this part of Matthew 5 like this, okay? Verses 17 through 20 are the teaching, the calling towards greater righteousness, the greater righteousness than that of the Pharisees. Anger, lust, divorce, these are the practical examples Jesus offers us on how to live out the call to greater righteousness. So you have teaching followed by practical examples of how this teaching can and should be worked out in the disciples' lives. The priority of internal disposition over external purity is the vital issue. I'm going to say that one more time because that's, that's key. The priority of internal disposition over external purity is the vital issue. Jesus thought the Pharisees were hypocrites. They walked the walk. No, they didn't actually. They talked the talk. But they didn't walk the walk when it came to the moral compass of the heart. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, inward and outward disposition has got to match. Jesus says, you want to enter the coming kingdom of heaven? Don't be a hypocrite. The practical examples all follow a pattern. You have heard it said followed by an example from Israel's law as laid down by Moses on Mount Sinai, on which Jesus comments and applies his teaching about greater righteousness. Jesus probes behind the original scripture into God's mind. Something to keep in mind. Jesus insisted that he came to fulfill, not abolish, the Jewish law. There is, an ancient saying that, there is an ancient saying that can help us keep this straight. Christ's commandment contains the law, but the law does not contain Christ's commandment. Therefore, whoever fulfills the commandments of Christ implicitly fulfills the commandments of the law. Christ's commandments contain the law, but the law does, do not, does not contain Christ's commandment. As Jonathan Pennington points out in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, that unlike any other rabbi or prophet, Jesus is not simply repeating the words of God and calling people to repentance and renewal here, no. Rather, Jesus is making a bolder claim than this, that he himself is now the arbiter of the truth of God. 
My nickname in college was Henry Bull in a China Shop Coates. I am and always have been a passionate kind of guy. I make no apologies for who I am. I'm from New Jersey. I'm one of three boys. My love language is teasing. I can get heated. I have felt strong, deep anger in my life. And at times, this will flash to the surface. And Jesus says that such anger is akin to murder. This upsets me. It makes me angry that Jesus would suggest such a thing. But what is Jesus on about here? Killing someone and being mad about something is the same thing? I, I hear that and I say, that's crazy talk, Jesus. Likewise, when Jesus talks about looking at someone with lust in your heart, that that is akin to adultery, I just think that's nuts. On the surface, it's frankly insulting. So what's going on here? Jesus is not saying that being angry is just as bad as murder, or that lust is just as bad as adultery. We can and often do overread these hard words of Jesus. I remember when I was in youth group growing up, I would hear these horror stories about people who just terrorized themselves that because they thought a certain way about a boy or a girl, they were convinced that they were going to go do directly to hell. Or because if they got into an argument with their parents, God no longer loved them. Interpretation matters. How we read the Bible matters. Jesus is not making all sins equal here. Murder and adultery are indeed sins with greater consequences for the self and the world than hating and lusting. Jesus' point is not that a sarcastic comment towards your husband is equal to spousal violence, or that sexual abuse is akin to getting a funny feeling in your stomach when talking to someone. No. As Jonathan Pennington observes, Jesus' point is not to bring murder down to the level of fallout from anger, nor does he equate adultery with lust, thus removing all distinctions. This is not to say that lust and unrestrained rage are okay. No, far from it. Rather, by focusing on the heart, Jesus is pushing against the strong human tendency to focus on external actions, to make godliness a matter of appropriate behavior, and in the process ignore the heart's intent. The heart matters. As Pennington points out, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter by saying that the real issue underneath murder and adultery are not the acts themselves, as wrong and devastating and as consequential as they are, but our heart, our inner disposition. Anger, real anger, can lead to violence. Lust can lead to adultery. Lust and anger can destroy lives, wreck relationships, destroy community. 
Jesus does not want us to get to the point of murdering someone or sleeping with someone that we aren't married to. So he says, control yourself. Now, you may all think that this sounds silly, but it's deathly important. To put away anger, to put away lust, is to look to Jesus. To orient our heart towards Jesus, towards love. This is what Jesus is asking us to do here. He uses really strong illustrations to drive this home, to cut off our hand, to pluck out our eye. He's not being literal here. He wants us to sit up and pay attention, to understand that his words are important. Jesus is being over the top to drive home the point that sin is bad. And it's of life and death importance to turn away from it and to repent towards Jesus. When we reject sin in our heart, we ensure, with God's help, that's what, that, that what's on the inside matches that's, that what's on the outside. When we reject sin in our heart, we ensure, with God's help, that what's on the inside matches that what's on the outside. Which then leads us to the topic of divorce, which Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 31 through 32. And I, I want to be very careful in what I say here. I find divorce so tricky, so hard to talk about. But that's the passage I was assigned to preach on today, folks. So I'm going to do it. I'm not a child of divorce. But I am a grandchild of a couple that decided to split up after 33 years of marriage. My grandparents divorced when they were in their 60s. There was no adultery, and both my grandfather and grandmother felt deep sadness about the breakup of their marriage till the day my grandfather died, my grandmother still living. According to their daughter, my mother, each of her parents felt crushing guilt that their marriage ended in divorce. They were Christians who had taken serious Jesus' teaching on divorce and for years afterward fell under condemnation for ending their marriage. But their Christian faith was important to them, as was church. And in time, they each found a pastor who opened, them, opened to them a channel of grace, whereby forgiveness and love of God vanquished the guilt and helped them to make peace with their past. God detests divorce. It destroys relationship and affects far more than just the dissolving married couple. My mother and her siblings are still feeling the aftershocks of their parents' divorce nearly 40 years on. But God also hates, hates abuse. My grandparents weren't in an abusive relationship, but I know many people who have gotten divorced who have been. 
And that's what makes Jesus' words here so hard. It seems to be so open and closed, but it isn't. The thing about sin is that God forgives it. Here's the thing about the hard words of Jesus. We have to remember the one who is speaking these words. It may seem like we have no hope, that the call towards greater righteousness is impossible, and therefore we are doomed. But there is grace here because of the person who is speaking these words, Jesus himself. And Jesus believes that we can do it because Jesus does not just offer outward transformation. He offers inward recreation. How? By offering himself on the cross. Jesus, who is the perfect fulfillment of the law, reorients everything. He is our righteousness. He is our true north by which we guide everything, all we are, all we do. We set our compass by his star. His challenge to us is to work to ensure that our inward disposition matches our outward action, for Jesus cares about the things of the heart. So if you're struggling with any of these things that I have mentioned today, if these words of Jesus strike you cruelly hard, turn to Jesus. He will hear your prayers. He will take on your burdens as your own. He will forgive you of your sins. Turn to Jesus. Take on his greater righteousness as your own. And live your lives as the redeemed sinner, beloved child of God that you are. You are a beloved child of God. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what may be in your past, God has seen you and said, I love you. You are mine. Turn to me and all will be well. All will be well. All matter of things will be well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.